Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Revelation chapter 15. We begin looking today at the fifth major vision sequence in the book of Revelation. Chapters 15 and 16 tell the story of the seven bowls. Now, I want to let you know up front that there is a fair bit of disagreement here among the commentators that I have consulted on this text. The disagreement has to do with how the seven bowls should be related to the seven trumpets. We've been using the term progressive parallelism to describe how these visions generally relate to each other. We've talked about the entire time between the first and second coming of Christ as being the general frame of reference for all of these visions. Uh, Think of that time period as being inside the picture frame. And think of each of these visions as being painted onto transparency slides that fit between the outer brackets of the frame. Some of the visions provide detail on the entire timeline, uh, the seven seals, for example, stretch from the left frame uh, or from the left frame to the right frame. They cover the entire period, that is to say, between the first and second comings of Christ. So too, most scholars would say, does the vision of the two witnesses. And so too, again, most scholars would say, does the vision of the dragon who wants to destroy the woman and her children. But some of the visions add particular detail nearer to the end of the timeline. The seven trumpets, for example, are often understood that way, and so are the seven bowls. And there's good reason for that. Look at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them the wrath of God is finished. All right. Words like last and finished incline us to think that we are way over on the right-hand side of the timeline, right? We're near the end. But that raises the question of the relationship between the trumpets and the bowls, because they're both near the end. Now, there are at least two possible ways of understanding this relationship. It, It is possible that we should understand the bowls and the trumpets as roughly parallel. They are two tellings of the same time period, the latter half of the general tribulation, which we tend to refer to as the great tribulation, or sometimes as the great day of the Lord. That's possible. It's also possible to see them as overlapping, but but not precisely overlapping. That is to say, it is possible to see the bowls as overlapping the trumpets, but weighted towards the right-hand side, weighted towards the end of the end. In that sense, the seven bowls would be an extended telling, a sort of director's cut of the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet is about angelic plagues, and and these bowls are about angelic plagues. And so, some see it that way. I am reminded of C.H. Spurgeon's caution about over-precision when dealing with the book of Revelation. He said, only fools and madmen are positive in their interpretation of the apocalypse. So with that caution ringing in our ear, I think we will simply leave this particular debate unsettled. We will simply say what the text says. The bowls have to do with things that are last. 
and with them, the wrath of God is finished. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. Now, again, the key words there are last and finished. That clause there in Greek literally means, for in them is fully discharged or fully completed the wrath of God. Whereas the emphasis in the trumpets was on partiality and last chances, the emphasis now seems to be on completeness and finality. Verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, let's say a couple things about that. First of all, let's notice that this judgment seems to come from God as he is surrounded by all those who have come out of the tribulation and suffering upon the earth. Again, works of judgment and salvation flow from God's sovereign ordination, but they also in some way flow out of the prayers and plight of the saints. God acts for his people, and as we saw in Revelation 8, God acts in response to the prayers of his people. Notice, too, that these saints are singing the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. Now, that's not two songs. It's not sort of antiphonal. It's one song, right? This is the Song of Redemption, Old Testament and New. Now, that, I think, you can say with absolute certainty. Some commentators see more and say more than that. But I don't think there is warrant for seeing and saying less than that. Some see a clue here that would align the seven bowls with the sixth trumpet. So again, those folks who think that the seven bowls are the director's cut of the sixth trumpet make further meaning out of this Red Sea imagery. You'll remember that God led the people of Israel through the Red Sea. They got to the other side. And then God caused the waters to collapse onto the Egyptians and the people were saved and standing on the shore, and they saw the destruction of Egypt, and they sang a song of deliverance. They sang the song of Moses. And so some folks infer from that comparison that these events associated with the seven bulls are happening after the last elect person is saved, after the last elect person has crossed over, as it were, such that nature now begins to collapse on itself, on Egypt, the world opposed to God. However precisely we're supposed to relate these two great works of redemption, the fact that we are supposed to relate them in some way is absolutely beyond question. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. By the way, interesting that to a group of mixed Jews and Gentiles in the church in Corinth, he would say our fathers. Never forget, Gentile friend, that the stories in the Old Testament, those are your family stories. That's what Paul says. I don't want you to be unaware of that, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. 
Nevertheless, in verse 5, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. So that phrase there, as examples, translates the Greek word tupos, from which we get our English word typology. Paul is saying that the Old Testament story establishes a pattern that applies to the end of the age. Now, how precisely that pattern applies is open to some debate. We'll see some more Exodus language before this passage is over. Verse 5 continues, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And verse 8 concludes chapter 15. It's a rather short chapter. Now, the language of verse 5 is very interesting. It literally reads, the tent of the testimony, which is a unique phrase taken from the Septuagint, the LXX translation of the Old Testament phrase, tent of meeting. The Greek could literally be translated as the tent of the martyr. The unique wording, I think, is meant to connect the wrath that is coming with the slaughter of the witnesses. This passage does overlap nicely here at this point with what we see in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. Listen to this. Remember the, two, the story of the two witnesses. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So the witnesses in chapter 11 finish their testimony and then are martyred. They're killed. But then, of course, they're raised up victorious into heaven, after which a great earthquake happens and the world comes to an end. You begin to see how all of these visions line up on the right-hand side of the frame. They may begin differently. They may begin in different places along the timeline. They They may progress differently, but they invariably head here. When the mission of the church is complete, when they've given their testimony, and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation have come to faith in Christ, then they are martyred. And then comes plague, judgment, and the end. And that lines up very well with what we have here. Now, finally, we should be careful to notice where these plagues, where these last judgments come from. The text says that they come not up from hell, but down from heaven. Now, there's, there's a sense in which it's both, right? I mean, there's a, there's a sense in, in which the dragon and the beast are involved in these things, and they surely come up from hell. But this just reminds us of what we see again and again in the Bible. Think of the census 
right, that David, uh, that David did. Well, we're told in one place in the Bible that the devil incited him to do it. We're told in another place that God incited him to do it. You think, how does that work? Well, go back and read Job chapter 1 and 2. The devil's a dog in a chain. Now, of course, a dog in a chain wants to kill and destroy everybody that comes by if it's a bad dog and the devil's a bad dog. But God can lengthen and shorten that chain in ways that suits his purpose. And so ultimately here, what we see is very important. All of these judgments come not up from hell ultimately, but down from heaven. They come out of the sanctuary. They come by means of the four living creatures. They come by means of the seven angels. It's important to see that. That no one could enter the sanctuary means that the time for intercession and prayer is over. Repentance will be given to no man, no woman, from this point forward. Time's up. There is no more mercy to be mixed with wrath. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.